The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. I'm joined by uh, Lauren Bowen, reporter with The Journal and Alva Smith, campaigner. And we're going to continue to talk about the issue of teaching and schools, this time in secondary, because the Irish Examiner is reporting on its front page under a gorgeous picture of two three-year-olds uh, having fun with Easter eggs. But it's reporting on its front page, thanks to Jack White and Jess Casey, that schools are to start sharing teachers in high-demand subjects from September due to a critical shortage of second-level staff. Alva, this is a bit like waiting lists in, in healthcare. It's the hardy perennial. You could grow old and die waiting for teacher supply issues to be solved, couldn't well, you? indeed you could. And, you know, first of all, I'd like to say Happy Easter to everybody. Well, happy Easter no to you. Anton, <laughs> to everybody here. Um, absolutely. But, but there is a real shortage, of course, of staff in second-level schools, and we know this, and I think um, ASTI are very, very uh, concerned about it. But... Uh, but as you say, I mean, this is allowing a problem to be there for years and years and years and years and years and then suddenly saying, oh, we need to do something about this. So let's actually have this completely weird idea of having teachers being shared between schools. I mean, it seems to me that one of the big rewards of being a teacher is actually becoming an integral part of a school, part of kids' educational life, uh, having relationships with the, building relationships with the kids, the teaching staff, the parents, the community. Whereas this is about saying that you're going to have a kind of flying squad of teachers who will be flying around the place. However, <laughs> just sitting a wee bit on the microphone there, Eva. however, is there something to be said for teachers who may have a specialism in a given area that may not be uh, as ubiquitous as, let's say, English, Irish, maths, but one it, of the core subjects? Yeah, but exactly. But this is apparently so that there be teachers in these so-called high demand subjects. In other words, the basic bread and butter of everyday education, like maths, like languages, like science. I mean, these, uh, plus Irish, by the way, and another part of Minister Foley's scheme is that there'll be sort of skill up, you know, upgrading of skills for the teaching of Irish, that's not going to solve the teacher problem. That's not going to solve the recruitment problem. What's going to solve the recruitment problem is actually offering teachers the kind of terms and conditions that is, are going to make it an attractive job and show that they are valued people in our well, community. Well, on that, Lauren, go back to that text that we just got from a gentleman here saying about the challenge that uh, he has. Um, sorry, I assume gentleman, my apologies. It uh, might be woman as much as man. Person texting in in relation to uh, hiring engineers and saying that any of the engineers that they're hiring, which is difficult to do, are paid less than teaching. Is teaching that unattractive? I mean, uh, we're seeing the proof, aren't we? You know, if if teaching was uh, an incredibly attractive position, surely we would be seeing that borne out in the number of people who are coming forward to do it, or or certainly in Ireland, you know, who that are staying in Ireland to do it. Um, And I mean, on that about the subjects, like it is those core subjects like Irish, math, sciences, languages. And if I'm thinking back to my school days, those teachers who were teaching those subjects seem to have a pretty full schedule as it was. So I'm interested in how this is going to work. Maybe, you know, I was in, you know, a school in Dublin, it was a busy enough school. Maybe this is going to be more something, schools like in rural areas that might not have as big a pool of, a t- of teachers. But then you're wondering about the quality of life for those teachers. What if, are, are they meant to be going to, mm-hmm. you know, one school 10 kilometres this way and then, you know, the next week or the next day, another school 10 kilometres the other way? Um, I know, interestingly, I, I have a friend who in 2020, 2021, she just graduated from college, from teaching. And when she was looking for a job, one job she was offered, now this is primary school, but a similar idea where she was offered a, a position as a special education teacher and that was going to be split between two schools, um, which seems, I mean, that in particular is such a specialised 
area that you'd wonder how, well, how kind of feasible that is, is that? That's and that exactly this is playing out now on a wider hang, scale. Hang on a minute. If doctors, if you're able to be a locum for a GP where somebody is able to come in with medical problems which may be chronic and deal with a different person and get decent treatment, if you're able to be a consultant working in the medical sphere and say I work one day in one hospital and another another, is teaching that complex well, that is it's a relationship is about that continuity. Impo- I mean if you're a consultant in a hospital you're not seeing the same patient every single day five days a week. So this is about formation. That's what education is. You're forming people, little people, small people, young people <laughs> in, uh, you know, how to be, how to be, how to be adult. And it seems to me that treating teachers in this way, which is saying, well, we're going to deploy you here and then we'll deploy you there is is not it is not respectful. And it does seem to me that fundamentally the problem for teachers, whatever about the pay scales, first of all, when you have a 25 point pay scale, you're looking at a problem. And this is something that's come from tradition and why? It absolutely needs to be reformed. I don't know. I'm no, as in why are you why is it of necessity a problem if you have a twenty five point Because pay I scale? mean you're looking, you're thinking, dear God above, I'm going to be sixty two by the time I reach the top of my scale. Mm. And you know that's that is not okay for people. Uh, Teachers, like everybody else, want to have their their homes if they're lucky enough and they want to have their families. They want to have, a you know, a, a reasonable life for themselves. And I do think that at the moment the problem is severely exacerbated, if something can be severely exacerbated, by the fact that it's extremely difficult for teachers to afford to buy themselves homes. Particularly in to- Dublin particularly in Dublin, or even to rent themselves some kind of little garret mm. in which to to lodge while they're flying from school to school like in some kind of new ministerial helicopter or something. I well, mean, what of that issue, the, the Dublin allowance and the possible need for one, Lauren? Well, I mean, I don't mm. think that that's going to meet the problem. An allowance is not actually going to build houses. The fundamental solution to this problem is to is housing mm-hmm. for all. Mm-hmm. And for somebody, somebody somewhere in government to get cracking on this problem mm-hmm. and genuinely start resolving yeah. it. I mean, you would wonder are any teachers going to sign up for this pilot scheme unless there is some kind of pay benefit to it. I don't see how any teacher would be attracted to the idea of having to split their time between two schools. Well, if you totally. have, if you happen to be in the area of teaching and you have a view five three one zero six or oh eight seven fourteen hundred one zero six, can we look at another story because it relates in some way to education and and I suppose to what Avo was talking about in terms of uh, formation. This, Lauren, is the story. Uh, I think it's the Examiner that's reporting it of the protests at a library about LGBT plus books. Can you explain this? So, so the particular piece in the Examiner is kind of a, it's it's actually a very well informed opinion piece by Kieran O'Connor, um, diving into this issue, which essentially has arisen after protests at libraries over books for teenagers about LGBT relationships, um, where groups were going in and essentially harassing library staff, asking them, asking them, you know, how dare you stock this book, and asking them were they parents themselves, and saying they should be, you know, ashamed of themselves and this sort of thing. Um, what I find interesting about this, I mean, if you think back a couple of weeks ago when there was this big furore about Roald Dahl books being changed to remove derogatory language, um, you know, there was people up in arms about that. Do we think there might be some crossover between the people who were enraged about that and the people who are, you know, saying books should never be changed, books are sacred? and who are now coming and you know, going into libraries um, and up in arms about, you know, this book. Um, you know, it, it just seems possibly a little bit hypocritical, I think, on that front. There's one of those yeah. basic rules in life, Alva, which is that book burning is probably a bad thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those basic rules. However, is there a, a 
one possible avenue in which you can justify some level of censorship, when it, which is if it is books for young people rather than fully formed adults. This is not about anything of that kind. This is a concerted effort on the part of far right extremists along a very well worn and well trodden path in the US and the UK and elsewhere of targeting um, of targeting books and bookshops and libraries and so on. Um, as a new terrain or as a terrain on which to conduct that, I hate this phrase, the so-called culture wars, which are not culture wars. In this case, what we're looking at are very clear, is a very clear instance of homophobia, lesbophobia and transphobia, and particularly uh, trans people are being targeted. Well, what about, because one of the things that the piece in the Examiner refers to is that the content of one of the books Involves Now, it's a book aimed at 12 to 17 year olds. Mm-hmm. It involves descriptions of specific sex acts and advice around same. And that for a 12 year old, that might be a bit much. Yes, but I think that, that there was an acknowledgement that, that, that books do need to be from time to time looked at. Also, in terms of the, the language, because the language can also evolve. And I think that same book, they were saying, well, look, this needs to be withdrawn at the moment, because actually it basically, I presume, is just talking about lesbian and gay people, whereas now it's really important to understand that sexuality and gender identity are, you know, across a spectrum which needs to be looked at. So, of course, I, I, I do think, but that is not the reason why these groups of people are harassing and intimidating librarians and going in and effectively seizing books um, because what they're up to is actually what what the extreme right has been up to with regard to um, to migrant people, for example, describing, you know, the, the, the terrible uh, racist um, slurs and so on that have been around recently. They're attacking, they attack m- migrants, women, uh, feminists in particular, obviously, uh, lesbian and gay people and trans people in particular at the moment. And this is fundamentally about sowing fear and suspicion and hatred. And I think Kieran O'Connor in this really, really good article actually points out that this is a very well, well-known, well-worn tactic. And they are setting out to cause trouble and they also pass themselves off as being official organisations and councils and boards and so on. And they're nothing of the kind. Setting out to cause trouble to what end? To disrupt, I suppose, what you could could call as, you know, a, a society and a culture which has become more open on many, many, many issues, which has become more, I don't like that word tolerant particularly, but there is that sense of more accepting of a whole range of differences between people and human beings and within a society and the need to engage and embrace all of that. Do you accept that, Lauren, that this is a concerted effort to um, achieve political, not political, but achieve societal change or is it just somebody who has a huge urge to protest at a library? No, I agree with Alva. I mean, I don't think people woke up one morning and decided I'm, I'm going to head down to the library today and, you know, kick up some trouble. It is. And as Alva what said, if they saw the queues of people waiting to take out books to be influenced by? 
<laughs> I mean, look, the, the piece in the examiner, it, it describes it as a manufactured panic. Exactly. I think that, that sums up what Alva is saying there. You know, it, it is part of a wider pattern of pushback against, you know, this kind of material against you know, trans people's kind of like, like visibility in society and, and inclusion in Absolutely. society um, and migrants and, and just, uh, you know, other marginalised groups. Well, when I think of, you know, how incredibly difficult it was all during my childhood and youth to get any information anywhere at all about sex, it is to be welcomed mm. that these, uh, that sex can now be talked mm. about um, appropriately with kids. I'm yeah. thinking to my own grandchildren who are far ahead of the, the, the posse of my generation for example, and who are very well able and very mm-hmm. well informed, but do need, they do need that grounding. They do need for particularly to given the ubiquity of information relating to those topics that is present the, on all it, social media sites. It's naive sites. to think that children exactly. aren't hearing about these things. And but this is the same are. that what we're to get the pushback now against kind of updated SPHE curriculums. It is, it, it's just naive to think the that children threat, aren't kind of hearing about this information from other places. The real threat in schools, I think, is actually the circulation of pornography on phones among young kids as young as seven, eight, nine and ten. That's where the real, real, real problem is because kids are not educated to understand that pornography is not about real life. Now, there is a, a, a story that I know Alva has been hugely eager to talk about all morning. She's chomping at the bit. This, of course, being uh, Una Healy not only being out of her throuple, but apparently uh, throwing sass, if that's the correct term, about the other members of said throuple. Hold on for a second, Alva. We'll get to that in a tick. Uh, before that, a text saying, I'm a primary teacher and my sister is a secondary teacher. I have never understood how secondary teachers only have contracts for 22 hours a week. That is the maximum they're expected to work, which means numerous free periods during the week every day. As a primary teacher, I have the children in front of me every minute of the day. Prep paperwork must be done on my own time, either before or after school. Surely having secondary school teachers timetables to work the entire day would go a long way to solving the shortage of teachers in particular subjects. And it finishes with a long series of exclamation marks. Uh, 53106 if you want to text us or 0874100106 if you want to WhatsApp. Before we let Alva uh, vent her spleen in relation to the trouble, one other story which is I think it's interesting in significance in terms of its positioning mm-hmm. Ryan Tuberty left the late late wall to wall coverage the world has come to a, a, a shuddering halt about it uh, the bookies have been running uh, bets on it for the last two weeks about who is going to replace him meanwhile the director general of RTE is away and there is a bit of a kerfuffle about who's going to replace said director general and everybody's attitude is kind of meh But apparently now there is a row over the appointment, Lauren. Yeah, and, you know, so the board that selects, you know, goes through the interview process and selects the the new director general, there's there's 12 people on that board. So you can imagine of a group of 12 people, nobody's, you're not all going to think the same. There's always going to be some disagreement about who's the best candidate. But what's interesting is that the disagreement in this case seems to be over the actual interview process. Um, So the, the Business Post is quoted as having reported that board members expressed shock at the manner in which the interview process was carried out. Now, we don't actually have the details here of, of what the particular uh, source of that contention was. So, so it's hard to say, you know, exactly to, to really get in, to dive into that too deeply. But um um, it it's a strange one, though, because in the big in, in the pantheon of things that large state and corporate boards take very seriously, mm-hmm. the appointment of the CEO or director general mm. in this case tends to be right up at the top of the list. So it's unusual <laughs> yeah. to see this kind of 
kerfuffle about mm, mm. Well, I mean, 300,000 euro, I suppose, is kerfuffling them uh, enormously. But what, what, what I, I really felt that what the insulting thing was, well, there is a, a suggestion there that they really need Kevin Backhurst to come in and do a presentation. I mean, this guy was the acting DG for some time and he was head of news and managing director of whatever. And they're saying, oh, no, you've got to come in and perform for us just so we know exactly what you're like. I mean, this is if I were Kevin Backhurst, I tell you, I'd be running out the door now this minute and say, keep your silly old job. At the heart of all good corporate governance is the wisdom to know that years later if anything goes wrong you can point back and say presentation was very good we did our job <laughs> come here before you go Alva I know the throuple well the throuple I mean honestly if ever there was a non-story today, oh this stop is it a you love it non-story this I know really this poor woman has been plucked out of uh, just simply doing her job in, in I think the fashion industry or something because she had a boyfriend <laughs> who was some kind of boxer are, are we talking about Una Healy still and, yeah the and, singer Una Healy what, the singer, yes, but she's now in the fashion oh, industry. Oh, sorry, my apologies. She's now, see, right? I knew you I were all it. over this. I, I knew you were all over it. But she had a, a relationship with the boxer. She was photographed with the boxer and another woman. And that was constructed as being some kind of threesome. Well, they never denied a, well, a throuple. Sorry, throuple. It's the continuing present tense rather than the one's off. ridiculous, a throuple. But they never denied, but they never acknowledged it. They very sensibly kept quiet about it on the basis that actually your private life is still your private life. I just simply feel when you read this, I just want you to listen to this very brief. Um, the singer showed off her toned legs in a pair of towering bright pink heels and a black mini dress in the update. Perching on the edge of a velvet stool, the mother of two also flipped her over in <laughs> hair and offered the camera a sultry stare. <laughs> now, if I were Una Healy, I'd be after them. I'd be suing them for misrepresentation or something of that kind. But it's the velvet stool that got me. This was not just a chair. It was a velvet stool. On that note... <laughs> Alva Smith, campaigner, Lauren Bone, reporter with the Journal. Thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.